Hello and welcome back to the Ideas Podcast. As always, it's me, producer and host Tony Oldani. Today's episode is a special one, a collaboration of sorts. As you may or may not know, Ideas is part of the Bear Radio Network, a Berlin-based platform that hosts some incredible podcasts such as Busy Being Black and Beyond Asian. This episode is special because today we're speaking to none other than Sen John herself, host and producer of Beyond Asian. In this conversation, Sen and I explore the depths of the third culture and what it means to have grown up as a third culture kid. Just so you have an idea of what exactly this means, here's how Beyond Asian defines it. The third culture is what emerges at the intersection between your culture of origin and the other cultures by which you've been shaped. Before we carry on, though, I want to shortly address some of the moving parts here at the Ideas Podcast. There are some big changes on the horizon, and I want to thank all of you who have supported the podcast thus far. Surely you'll love what we have in store for you. And hey, if you like what we do, please feel free to share an episode with a friend or two. And if you really like what we do, we invite you to head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash jfksideas. Any and all donations are greatly appreciated. And in light of recent events, the Ideas podcast will be donating half the proceeds to support systems in Ukraine. So without further ado, I think there's no better time than now to introduce our guest of honor, Senjan. How are you doing? Hello, Tony. I'm doing really well. I'm really happy to be here. I'm excited to be meeting you electronically over uh, over Zencaster, and I'm really happy to be part of your project. I'm just so um, so thrilled when young people want to do things like this. Thank you. That means a lot coming from a fellow podcaster. Now, just for our audience, can you introduce who you are and introduce what you do on Beyond Asian? So my name is Sen. I was born in China in 1984, and I immigrated with uh, with my parents to Canada when I was six, and uh, grew up in in Calgary in Canada, and moved to Montreal when I was 18 for university. Um, so most of my upbringing was in both the English speaking parts of Canada and the French speaking parts of Canada. So I was really aware of this, um, you know crossing cultures and crossing linguistic cultures and socioeconomic cultures from a very young age. And eventually I made it over here to Germany in Berlin, where I've been living for uh, the last seven-ish, eight years. Uh, And I started Beyond Asian, I think two years ago. Yeah, um, Beyond Asian is, is coming up on its second birthday soon. At first, I didn't quite know what the show was really going to be about. I had told myself, like many people do these days, maybe you guys have something to to say about this. One day I'm going to start a podcast and it's going to be about something. <laughs> Great. Oh, I have yeah. all these amazing conversations with my friends. And if only some of these conversations were recorded and, and shared with other people, um, maybe they could also engage with these conversations, you know? Totally. And I, I was very fortunate that uh, around that time when I was really thinking of starting a podcast is when I encountered Bear Radio. And they're the English podcasting network here in Berlin. And they were offering a month-long intensive podcasting workshop. Um, so I saw it and I just knew immediately that that was for me. That had my, na- my name on it. And um, throughout the month of developing the idea for Beyond Asian, um, we set everything up. Uh, I learned how to use recording equipment. Um, I developed a show, a show intent and design. I sourced some guests. Um, I did my first interviews, and and I 
produced my first episode. So that was like this um, this massive launch pad that set me off to to creating Beyond Asian. And as I went along, I, I noticed that um, the more that I talked to people about this project, the more people became really interested and the more people started to refer people to me to help me along my way. And it was such a great confirmation of something that I had known already, which is if you put something out into the world, something is going to happen. You might not know what's going to happen, but something is going to happen and someone is going to take notice. And um, and along the way, you kind of like build your way forward and you start to attract the the right people to you who will support your cause. I resonate with quite a bit of what you said. And I feel like the reason why Beyond Asian is so personal to you and is able to resonate with others so much is the nature of this sort of identity that you've been born into, or rather this multitude of identities. Yeah. This third culture that you base Beyond Asian on. Yeah. So being a third culture kid, what sort of have you noticed that stands out amongst people of the third culture? And what are some of the nuances of third culture people? I think third culturalism is, so third culturalism is a relatively new term. Um, it's been around for just a couple of decades because it was, it was first used to describe the children of uh, diplomats and uh, of military personnel who, um, because of the nature of their jobs, would travel around from country to country, you know, be stationed there for a couple of years and then need to move on to the next country. And so it was first uh, used to describe this experience of, you know, children of all, of all kinds of backgrounds backgrounds. Um, and what they had in common was this, uh, this experience of having to quickly adjust to a new culture, um, quickly, uh, learn the rules of a new social setting. And, um, through this process of like repeated instances of having to jump from different world to different world to different world, often with worlds that have completely opposing cultural value sets. There's this understanding that um, these, these children have that the world is not a static place. The everyday lives that we may have operate by a certain set of social rules, but these rules are extremely contextual. And as soon as you change contexts, you need to change your behavior. Mm. Um, you know, And then you start to develop this understanding that there's not such a thing as, uh, as an objective reality. And there's not a, such a thing as the right set of values or the wrong set of values. And, um, and I think that this is something that's really common to third culture kids, uh, that they have this wider understanding of the world. They have this more globalized perspective and that they can see that their identities are not necessarily rooted to one fixed place, that it comes from many different places. It comes from your family of origin. It comes from your cultural origin. It comes from the geographical place of your origin. Mm -hmm. And it comes from every single place that you've lived in, that you've taken something from, and that you've learned from. Um, it comes from all the people that you've uh, had relationships with, you know? And so identity becomes this very multifaceted, fluid, context-specific thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and that can also produce its own set of challenges, which is that um, third culture kids can can often have these identity crises and often at a very young age, you know? Of course. Um, and, uh, and that there's, there's a difficulty in knowing where do you belong if you're constantly moving and if you're able to, to identify with, uh, with many different places, um, how do you know what home is? And that's one of the questions that, um, that I certainly still struggle with and I think that a lot of people who travel uh, around a lot struggle with too. 
Yeah, no, I like what you said about identity sort of being this ephemeral thing that you can't really pin down and forming a third cultural identity is more so just combining these identities yeah. without having them being lost individually and losing meaning. I, and I was going to add also that identity is not a thing that, um, you know, in uh, in American culture, they, we talk about the melting pot, right? Where everyone kind of just got, you know, comes into this amalgam of uh, of like a something of like a homogeneous culture, but it's not really everything. Everyone becomes the same thing. And it's that identity is these parts of ourselves that um, they remain distinct and they're brought out, you know, they're kind of like, sometimes you have dominant genes and sometimes you have recessive genes and uh, the recessive gene doesn't get expressed unless it's in the right context. Identity, I think, is a lot like that. There are some parts of our identities that will not be expressed unless they're given the right place to, to come out. And I think that that's like, that's the, the beautiful thing is that, you know, you never know how many pieces of identity someone has in them. Definitely, definitely. And I like what you said about American. I'd like to bring that back to Beyond Asian. You talk a lot with people who have Asian roots, but then are forced to migrate somewhere else mm -hmm. and struggle with their identity elsewhere. How do you feel that like Beyond Asian helps them discover who they are meant to be? Or how do you feel that Beyond Asian sort of helps propagate these stories and what's your evolutionary vision mm -hmm. for this project? Mm, yeah, that's such a, that's such a great question. Wow. So I think I'll, I'll start answering it by talking about what was it that brought me to start uh, beyond the Asian for myself, which was that I had for a very long time, um, really up until just a few years ago, really run away from my Asian background. When I was growing up, you know, being Chinese uh, was something that I tried to overcome because I wanted to be like everyone else, you know? And I think that there's many different reasons for that. I think um, definitely the hangovers of colonialism were, were at play. Uh, immigration trauma were at play, was at play, and my own cultural trauma, you know? So there's a lot of different um, reasons why as a young person, I really felt like I, I just want to be Canadian. I don't even want to be Chinese Canadian. I just want to be Canadian. And, uh, and I lived my life that way for a very long time. You know, I refused to speak Chinese to my parents for, for a while. Jeez. Um, I didn't want anything to do with the Chinese language or, or Chinese food, you know, or like people would come up and ask me about Chinese things. And even though I would know the answer, I wouldn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to be associated with something that I was trying to get away from. And as time went on, I started to realize, like, just think about why this was such a strange thing to do. Why, why it was that I wanted to negate such a large part of who I was, as if anybody else could forget that I was Asian. You know, I think that was kind of like the, the denial and the delusion that I was um, feeding myself, which is that I thought, you know, I could go through the world and if I didn't consider myself Asian, other people wouldn't either. <laughs> which is like, you know, when I think, when I say it out loud like that, it's like, wow, really, I believe that. And, um, you know, the, the other thing that happened was that I became very distant from my family, you know, to a certain extent that was necessary for me to get a certain distance from them um, and a certain distance from my culture to, to see it from a different perspective. And I started to realize that if I don't do something to, to understand this for myself, 
I will never be able to have a closer relationship with my family and I'll never be able to have a closer relationship with my culture, which means eventually that I'll never be able to have a closer understanding of myself. I'll always be living this kind of, you know, being like a shell of myself. So that was one of the things that, that really propelled me to start Beyond Asian as an investigation into myself. And as I started doing that, I, I saw other people. I started to meet other Asians who had similar upbringings as I did, similar experiences of really feeling you know, alienated and estranged from their own culture, but who had dealt with it in a different way. And I wanted to learn from them because they were my peers, they were my contemporaries, and I could see myself reflected in them, but just slightly different. So I think that what I what I hope um, Beyond Asian can serve as is is a showcase of people like me that have done really interesting and different things with their lives that sometimes have to do with being Asian, but sometimes have nothing to do with being Asian, you know, and to to kind of like show ourselves as a culture that there's diversity in us. There's so much diversity in in Asian lifelines, because it's not represented in media, where it hasn't been when I was growing up. I never saw Asian people reflected in the way that I saw myself and in the way that I saw my peers. Uh, so there was this massive lack of representation. And, and I'm hoping that the podcast can, can be a starting point to, to show that, uh, that we're not the stereotypes that have been portrayed in media. And I, I get it completely. Like I've listened to a bunch of your episodes on Beyond Asian. I mean, you speak to such a wide variety of people. You speak to psychiatrists. You speak to sex positivity advocates. You speak to people who are polyamorous. You speak to people who have made dating apps. I mean, you speak to truly just such a wide arrangement. <laughs> You've listened to all the episodes. Just, <laughs> I've listened to a good amount. I've listened to a good. I've done my homework. Um, and really, I mean, the one that I liked the most was the one where you spoke to, I believe his name was Hanmin Yang. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, yes. but I hope I am. Yes, he yes, you are. He made the, the uh, Alike, yes. the Asian dating platform. And uh, even your more recent one, your um, one where you speak with the band, right? Yeah. The uh, Yukonichiwa the wrong guy. Yes. I feel like those conversations are so important because those are just people you don't ordinarily speak with. And just going off that, I mean, what episode is your favorite or which one would you recommend the most? So all of the episodes, of course, are going to be my darlings because every single person has an, a unique story. And I'm so honored to be able to tell each story. I think that for, for a high school audience, especially one based in Germany, who uh, they're going to be living across you know, the English-speaking and the German-speaking culture, amongst others, I would say that episode four, which is cultural imposter syndrome as a Korean-German artist... That one, I think, would be especially pertinent. Uh, I speak with Sarah Han, who is part, I mean, she is completely Korean and she's completely German. You know, this is kind of how I, I, I like to say it. You know, her father is German, her mother is Korean, and she grew up in, uh, in a small German village. Uh, and she talks about what it's like to be the only person of color growing up in her village. And, um, of course, being completely... Uh, fluent in German because that's her native tongue, but not being accepted as German. And then later in her in her older life, um, going to Korea and hoping that she would be accepted as Korean there, and uh, of course not having anything like that reception. Um, so this feeling of not belonging to 
where you come from and not belonging to where other people say you come from is, I think, a really common experience amongst third culture kids, amongst um, multiracial kids. And, uh, and I think that uh, the way that Sarah talks about it is, is really relatable to anyone who might have grown up in, uh, in a smaller place, particularly in Germany. And I feel like that story on its own can be broken up into so many meaningful parts in terms of considering third culture identity and considering some of the challenges and what comes of the hardship that third culture people face. Like mm-hmm. becoming this cultural chameleon after having no real home and being this sort of rootless rootless person, this sort of, I think we touched upon it earlier, this like ephemeral identity, how that sort of yeah. changes you. I mean, what do you think people should really know about third culture people more? What I wish is for people who might be mainly from one place um, and they have a friend who's lived in many different places is to ask what that friend's perspective is on their own culture. So if, um, you know, if I'm mainly uh, living in Canadian culture, mainly living in German culture, and I've got this friend who's, you know, lived two years in Malaysia and a year in London and a year in Dubai and a year in South Africa, I would love to know that person's perspective on like, hey, what do you think is, what, what, are, what do you think we're doing well in our culture right now? Um, what are some different ways that you've seen other cultures do it? You know, any kind of issue like healthcare, like marriage, like child rearing. Um, that might be a little too, you know, too early for a high school, uh, high school audience. But, um, you know, how do people navigate relationships? How do people think about money? How do people have conversations with their parents? You know, what is the role of academics in life? Like this person is a wealth of experiences. They're like a dictionary of culture because they've had to live through it. And they have all of these lived experiences that um, that most people don't have. And um, so I would love to, you know, they're basically like a cultural consultant. You know, like, tell me what you see. Like, my culture is like an organization. You're like a consultant. Tell me what you see in this organization that can help me to understand why things are the way that they are. Because I just see the same thing every day. I every day I walk down the same streets. I go to the same stores. I have the same friends. You know, we do the same things on the weekends, and and I don't know how big the world is because I haven't seen it. But you have, so I want to know what you've seen. I love those questions that you just asked because I feel like they're so applicable to our audience specifically. And as a matter of fact, I mean, Ideas Club. We just did a survey at the Kennedy School, and we found out that around twenty percent of the student body identify as a third culture kid. Wow. Wow. And that another though, also another 20% have identified as having complicated national identities. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> complicated <laughs> is the way to say it. Exactly. Yes. I mean, do yeah. you see this as two sides of the same coin? Are they the same or is the latter 20% just not aware of being third culture? I mean, what's your take on this? This is a really great question. I think for me, this is a question that, um, so it's it's a little bit analogous to when people use the word immigrant or expat um, to refer to someone who's left their country of origin to go to another another country. And the, the words that we use carry certain connotations. Um, that's kind of 
how I hear the difference between I have a complicated national identity versus I'm third culture, you know? Um, and this is why it's important to have a developed cultural script and a certain developed cultural vocabulary to describe your experiences and to describe your experiences in a way that feels empowering to you. And, and I grew up also using that kind of language to say things like, I have a complicated identity. I'm going through an identity crisis. Um, you know, I'm feeling estranged from my, my home culture, uh, for example. And these are ways of talking about ourselves that can put, like, you know, put our own experiences down a bit. You know, like there's that, that feeling of like, oh, you know, I'm so complicated. I, I'm, why can't I just be easy? Like someone who's, uh, who's monoculture. And, you know, and so that's why I'm so happy that there's this term third culture to, uh, to almost like validate that your experiences are, they may be complex, but that doesn't mean that they're bad. And that doesn't mean that they're worth less than someone who has a quote unquote, a simple cultural relationship with themselves. When we can see the strength that comes with this blended identity or this multifaceted identity is, is when we can also see that there's, you know, there's always a light side and a dark side to experiences. And the challenges that we might be going through right now in terms of not knowing who we are, where we belong, also allow us to have a greater perspective on the world. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of claiming of, uh, of, I, I guess like strength is the way to say it, but I guess there's a claiming of this is, a skill set that I've had to develop to navigate a world that is more complex than most other people's worlds. And often this skill set doesn't appear as useful as it will later on in life. Often these are the things that, you know, we experience when we're young and we wish we didn't have them because it, it makes us dif different from our peers and it gives us a harder time than most people. Um, but because of that, we develop a reserve, you know, a certain resilience that um, most other people don't have the necessity to develop. And we only see that until later in life. So if I'm getting this correct, your message to these students is that they should embrace their multifacetedness of identities rather than to neglect them or try to assimilate in a way, right? Absolutely. Uh, I think embracing is really, across the board, the, the best way to go. Um, but I know that it's difficult. You know, it's um, it's not easy to embrace things that are difficult. <laughs> like, who wants to be like, oh yes, difficulty? You know, give me some more difficulty, right? <laughs> um, but uh, but it's this recognition that my experience is not less valuable than anybody else's experience. Things that are difficult are opportunities for me to grow in ways that other people don't have the chance to grow in, and um, and, and and it's not always easy and it's not fast and it's not even always obvious why why this is a good thing to embrace and i think you know every person's journey to to doing that for themselves is very different and for some people it might happen when they're in grade 11 and high school doing a podcast and for some people they might they might need to take a bit more time maybe it comes later on in in adulthood or uh, or in parenthood or in older life but that, yes, like absolutely, we should embrace those parts of ourselves. And going further, I mean, what do you think that our listeners and just people in general, even if they may not be third culture people, can do to sort of welcome third culture more and change the conversation and the stigma surrounding third culture? Mm. Can you tell me what you mean by the stigma around third culture? The stigma meaning this sort of 
experience that you've had to go through, this sort of societal thing where you don't want to stand out because, oh, then I'm one of those people, then you get put into mm-hmm. this box of being not from here, you be the yes, other. Yeah, to be othered. Yeah, absolutely. Think about a time when you were the odd one out. Think about a time when you were the one who was different, whether that was you came to came to a school as a as the new kid in the middle of the semester, or you were traveling, you were vacationing somewhere, you didn't understand how the rules worked. Um, uh, you might have joined a sports club that uh, didn't take to you right away. Um, any experience of not having been accepted, that is what it can feel like when you're a third culture person or when you're just a, a newcomer, you know. And um, think about what you would have loved to be met with um, from, you know, from people who knew what was going on and think about the kind of things that you would have loved to have had explained to you, you know, and it could could be anything as simple as um, at this school, uh, this is what people usually do at lunch hour. Um, at this school, this is how you might approach um, someone to chat them up and get to know them. Um, in this neighborhood, uh, this is, uh, here are the the places that we might go to to uh, you know to have some fun after school. Um, so things that might seem obvious for you, um, but might not be obvious for someone who's uh, who's just arrived in that culture. And to start to ask yourself this question of why are things the way that they are? Why do we just go to these places after school? How come we don't go to those other places? How come we don't go to that other neighborhood? Why is it that? We always eat lunch, you know, at this place and, uh, and not at the other place. What are the reasons for that? Who has told me that that's a good idea? Where did I get these ideas from? You know, to start to like ask ourselves, how did things come to be the way that they are now? <laughs> I think that's like a quite a, a big reflective question. Um, and uh, there's not really an end to that kind of reflection. But I think that's the kind of um, the kind of like self-examination that can be really helpful. I mean, like you said earlier, no one wants to do the difficult thing, but sometimes they're necessary. And I hate to say it, but we're nearing the end here. Sen, it's been amazing talking with you. And it's Ideas Custom here to give our guests the chance to recommend something to the audience, a little endorsement. What do you want to shout out? Uh, I So I recently interviewed a diversity and inclusion consultant. He's a Dutch-Korean spoken word poet, and his Instagram handle is word.magician. His name is Kevin Hoon, and uh, his work is incredible. Um, his First of all, his poetry is incredible, and uh, the professional work that he does on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion um, is very challenging. Um, challenging of the status quo. Uh, he is not afraid to say things that um, other people are afraid to say. And he's not afraid to get himself into um, positions where he might be criticized for saying things uh, that stand up for other people that you know, who, who cannot stand up for themselves. So I'm learning from him every day. Great. So, Sen, thank you so much for being here with us today. I mean, this was a fantastic conversation. Love Beyond Asian. There are sister podcasts on the Baron Radio Network. So it's great to finally talk to one of our neighbors. Yeah. (laughs) Tony, thank you so much for having me. Uh, It's been a pleasure to be with your eloquent presence. And I can only commend you on the wonderful work that you're doing on the Ideas Podcast. Please keep it up. 
Thank you so much for being on. And Ideas listeners will catch you in the next episode. See you then.